All right, well, my name is Doug, one of the pastors here at Parkview. It's a joy to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew 28. And um, if you've been around here the last couple of weeks, you know that we are in the middle of a vision series. Actually, we're not in the middle of a vision series. We are at the end of the vision series, okay? And Matthew 28 is where we started. All, you know, I don't know, five, six weeks ago, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20 is where we started, and it is where we will finish this series together as a people. And so, um, remember, what we have been doing for the last couple of weeks is putting a vision before you. We have been encouraging you, inviting you to dream with us, to dream of what this church could be and will be as we seek to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the vision is. That's the vision. It's nothing shocking. It's nothing cute or clever. We're just trying to be faithful to the Bible and what God has called us to be as his church. Okay? And so as we long to see God's presence at work among us, we long to glorify him by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Specifically, what that means for us right now as a church is that we want to be, we want to bring glory to God through this process of making disciples as the whole church forming whole disciples of Jesus. And so whole church, that's important language. What we're saying with the word whole church, with the phrase whole church, is that this business of making disciples is not something that we simply designate a few specific leaders or maybe paid professionals. This is their job or maybe those who have a unique spirit spiritual gift. It's just their job of forming disciples. We're saying, no, it's the responsibility of the whole church. It's God's calling on you. If you're a follower of Jesus, his calling on you as the people of God is to make disciples. Okay. And we want to form whole disciples. We want to form whole disciples. We are not content with mere portions of disciples. We want each and every person to be formed as a whole follower of Jesus Christ. Every part of their life is transformed by God's grace and his mercy so that you are now able to live for him. And that as we engage in this work of disciple making, what we will see happen. See, here's the deal. There are probably many of you who come, I know four or five years ago, I don't know how long it's been, 2000 and. 16, when we started Parkview East, there were many of you, I know for a fact, that were drawn to call this your home because you wanted to see the world around us transformed for God's glory. You wanted to see the message of Jesus Christ heralded and proclaimed specifically on the east part of Iowa City. You wanted to see, likely, lives transformed as a result. And as those lives are transformed, that a community is transformed by the gospel, by the power of Jesus Christ. What we're saying with this vision is that is, is yes and amen. We want to see that happen too. And our method, the strategy that we are going to deploy through this body is the strategy of making disciples for that end. That as the whole church engages to form whole disciples, this will bring glory to God and it will be for the good of all people. Our world around us will be transformed. So if that's what you were hoping to see five years ago when you came to Parkview East, we want to say yes and amen. We want to see it happen too. And the way by which we will see this happen is by engaging in this amazing responsibility, like Eric just said earlier, of making disciples, of making disciples. So to bring our series to a close, we return to a passage that launched it all, the Great Commission. It's a passage which is, is good for us to return to, and we have over and over and over again as a church. 
This commission was given to Jesus, to, uh, given by Jesus to his disciples and to every follower of Jesus in subsequent generations. And as we open up these words, as we read these words in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, they should awaken our hearts. They should inspire us and direct us as God's people into precisely the mission that he has called us for all along. Now, if you've been tracking with us the last couple of weeks, there's a good chance that some of you have been thinking, well, this is great. This is, this is great that we're spending time as a church talking about this, discussing this work of disciple making. But when are we going to get to something that's really relevant for me? When are we going to move on to a topic which is more relevant for me in my daily life? It's great that, that you all, Maybe church leaders have spent some time trying to figure out where we're going as a church. But come on, get to, get to talking specifically to me. Give me something that's going to apply specifically to my life right here and right now. When are we going to move on from this topic? There's, there's a good chance that many of you may be thinking that. In fact, if you found yourself thinking of something along those lines the past couple of weeks, let me assure you that there are few topics which are more relevant and more urgent than that of making disciples for Jesus. There are a few topics which are closer to capturing the heart of our calling as followers of Jesus than this topic of disciple making. In fact, let me go a step further. And let me say every topic that we will talk about on Sunday morning finds its home in the great work of disciple making. In fact, every time some pastor stands up behind this music stand, you will find their task is simply this, helping us as a church, first and foremost, glorify God by proclaiming Christ. And as we do that, forming the church of Jesus Christ into disciples of Jesus, who in turn make disciples of Jesus. It is at the very center of our calling as the people of God. And so therefore, we will never move on. While this is the end of the series, it is not the end of the series. Because next week as we open up the Bible in John 17, guess what we'll be doing? Proclaiming Christ from scriptures for the good of the church so that we can become disciples who make disciples. You see, here's the reality, folks. We are all involved and have been from birth in the work of disciple making. Every single one of us. Though not necessarily making disciples of Jesus. Every single one of us has been involved from birth of disciple, in the work of disciple making. Though not always making disciples of Jesus. You are, if you're sitting in here this morning, and guess what? Every single one of you are. If you're sitting in here this morning, you are a disciple. The question is, who are you a disciple of? From whom are you learning? In fact, as you sit in here this morning, you are a disciple, and you are a disciple maker. The question is, how are you influencing those eyes and lives around you who are watching you. Every single one of us is engaged in this work. Mark Dever in his book on disciple making says this. To be human is to be a disciple. God didn't present Adam and Eve with a choice between discipleship and independence. 
but between following him and following Satan. We're all disciples. The only question is, of whom? See, back in the garden, Adam and Eve refused to follow the word of God that would lead them to life. They followed the word of the great deceiver that would ultimately lead them to their death. It's not a matter matter of whether or not we are following someone. It's a matter of whom or what we follow. So this this activity of disciple making, whether we sign up for it or not, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, we are all engaged in it. And so I say again, there's no topic that's more relevant than the topic before us this morning. Through this series, we've asked a number of questions. We've tried to clarify a number of convictions. We started out by answering the question, why? Why are we making the disciple? Why, why is disciple making so central to our vision as a church moving forward? And again, we just opened up the Bible and we just looked at God's word and we just clearly see in God's word that this is what he has called his people to do and to be, disciple makers. And as a church, this is what we are about. This is the calling he's placed on our life and therefore... We are engaged in this activity, and not just is it our activity, but we see, and from a grand scheme, it's what God is doing. He is is rescuing people from the domain of darkness, and he is transferring them into the kingdom of his beloved son, into the land of light, and he has transformed them. He's given them lives, and then he has enlisted us to help do that same thing. God is in the business of winning a people, making a people for himself. We looked at Revelation, we saw this is how it's going to be in the end, the future. God will do what he set out to do and his, his strategy for doing that is the church. And so we're simply joining God with this great mission. That's why we're doing it. What we looked at, what is a disciple? If disciple making is so critical, then what, pray tell, is a disciple? Well, we've used some language that we've tried to introduce to help us understand if you're gonna be a disciple of Jesus and it's really important, then you must know what a disciple is. And simply what we've said a disciple is, is it somebody who's been rescued from darkness, transferred into light, into the kingdom of God's son. And they are now a, in, this new, in this new kingdom that they live in, they are a learner of Christ. They are moving towards Jesus. One step of faithful obedience after another. A, a disciple essentially is somebody who is committed to learning Christ. A Christ learner. Okay? So, so we learn Jesus, we love Jesus, and then we live Jesus. You should be able to look at somebody who's a follower of Jesus, how much they learn him and they know him and they love him by the way that they live their life, by the words that come out of their mouth, the activity that they give themselves to, the way that they spend their time. Somebody who's a disciple of Jesus, we've said, is somebody who learns Christ, loves Christ, lives Christ in all of life. Secondly, thirdly, we asked, how are these disciples made? If this is so important for us to go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, how do we do this? And we've said it's, again, looking at God's scripture. Pastor Wade mentioned several weeks ago that it's a very, very simple technique. What do we do? We prayerfully proclaim God's word, God's people, and we do this persevering over time. Four Ps. Proclaim God's word. We pray, because ultimately it's not us that's doing it, it's God's spirit, so we need his spirit to move. This is done among God's people as they persevere over time. Last week we looked at whose job is this? Is it just the job for the paid professionals, for the individuals up on staff? No. In fact, their job is to equip the saints, the church, so that they can be engaged in this great disciple-making work. Every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus is enlisted into this great 
church of Jesus Christ. And our activity, our job description is the same. Go and make disciples. This morning, in conclusion of our series, we're going to ask, we're going to answer the simple question, where does this activity take place? Where do we do this work? And big idea for us this morning. I'm going to say this a couple times. You can write it down if you're taking notes. What's the answer to this question? Where do we make disciples? Forming disciples of all nations is the basic activity which lies at the center of everything we do as a church. Let's say it one more time. Where do we make disciples? Forming disciples of all nations is the basic activity which lies at the center of everything we do as a church. So if we want to answer this question with uh, maybe just one word, where do we make disciples? Hopefully the word's obvious. Everywhere. Everywhere. Where do we make disciples? Where does disciple-making activity happen? Every single corner of this earth. Every place that we go. Everywhere. So let's focus, let's start with a broad sort of lens and then we'll kind of zoom down. So this morning, just three things we're going to focus on as we consider the where of disciple making. Let's first start with the nations. Then secondly, we'll go to the church. And then thirdly, we'll stop at the home. So the nations, the church, and the home. The simple and obvious answer for this question is everywhere. That's where disciples are made. Every corner of this world where people are in need of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, that's where disciples are to be made. If you scan throughout God's word, you will see God's heart is a heart for the nations. His heart beats for the entire world. Wherever there is people on this planet, that's where disciples ought to be made because that's where God's heart is. If you go all the way back into Genesis, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, and you see that the story of the Tower of Babel, when the, God scattered the, the, the people across the face of the earth, and their languages, we're told in the Bible, were confused. God's purpose has always been, since that moment, to gather those people again around his beloved son. And his plan to pull that off has always been by working through his chosen people. So I, in the next chapter, in Genesis 12, this call comes to Abraham. A call that through Abraham, God would eventually be a blessing to all of the nations. The, the people who come from Abraham, he would use specifically to bless the entire nations. All of the nations. His design for these people was that they would become a holy people. The nation of Israel. And that they would represent to the world the very character of God himself. So that as you looked at the nation of Israel, as you saw these people, God's chosen people, you would get a glimpse of how awesome and how mighty and how gracious and holy and loving the eternal God is. Just by looking at their people, at his people. But as you continue to read on through the Old Testament, page after page after page, you see that God's people are not able to fulfill this calling. They are not faithful to what God has designed them for. Rather than being a blessing to the nations, in fact, they look more like a curse. And God judges them because of the rebellious and faithless hearts. Because of their sin, they are exiled and they're scattered again among the nations. We can look into the prophets. As you read in the prophets, we are told of this day when one will come, a servant of the Lord himself. And this servant's job, what he will do, is he will be a light for the nations. One will come who will be a light for the nations, who will fully embody and represent God's true character. 
that may, may sal salvation may reach the very ends of the earth. And then as you open up the Gospels and turn to the book of Matthew, the very beginning pages of Matthew, you start to see this plan unfold in the person of Jesus Christ himself. The very opening pages, as, as Jesus is born, we're told the story of his birth. And, and from the nations come these magi, these, 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 these men who have come to, they've heard the, the birth of a child, and they're, they're Gentiles, they're pagan men. And they come from the nations to Jesus for the purpose of bowing down and worshiping this little boy. You begin as you read through the story of the Gospels to see Jesus reveal himself, disclose himself to people who are not of the nation of Israel, but are Gentiles. Those who, who maybe are outside of the covenant. Jesus reveals himself to them. He tells stories where the hero is somebody who is not a part of the nation of Israel. God's heart for the nations, we see it fully embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So much so that at the very end of the story, after he is crucified on a cross, resurrected from the grave, he meets with the disciples. And where does he meet with them? He meets with them in Galilee. This is an important observation to notice just in our text this morning. Where does he meet with these men? He meets with them in Galilee. The location of this historic moment, the Great Commission, tells us a great deal. In Matthew 26, 32, before the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus was very clear with his disciples. He instructed his disciples to meet him in Galilee. And this makes sense. It would be customary for these men, all Galileans, to return to their home following their journey to Jerusalem for Passover. However, it's important to note that, that Galilee was referred to in Scripture as Galilee of the Gentiles. Or Galilee of the nations is another way to say it. And here at this Galilee of the nations, Jesus meets with his followers. And what does he do? He sends them to the nations. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Every corner of this world, every part of this planet. Tell them about Jesus Christ and the gospel that liberates them and saves them. The hope that they have in Jesus. Go therefore into the nations and make disciples. Jesus has all the authority. And through his authority, he says here in Matthew 18, he takes that authority and he sends out the followers of Jesus. The church. For this work of making disciples. Therefore, disciple making. In fact, we're here today as a result of men and women being faithful because in America, guess what? We are the nations. We're the nations. And oftentimes we forget that. But we are. We are, we are foreigners to this. But, but faithful men and women, generation after generation after generation, have committed themselves to the great work of disciple making because Jesus is worth it. And here we are some 2,000 years later, opening up his scripture, proclaiming Jesus to one another. As the nations. Where else does it happen? I'm so glad you asked. It happens in the nations. It happens everywhere. But it also happens right here in the church. It also happens right here in the church. Remember, a disciple, we've said, is a learner. Somebody whose whole life, it's been transformed by Jesus. And it's now committed to learning Jesus. One step after another, one day after another. This is a very important, this is so important for us to remember. 
And I fear, especially in our day and age, where sometimes we want to be seen. Can I just be vulnerable real quick? Let me be vulnerable real quick. One of my great fears, I shouldn't say it's a great fear, but it's something that exists in the back of my hand, my mind, is that when somebody approaches me and they find out I'm a pastor, right? And one of the, one of the, the phrases that might come after the, oh, you're a pastor. In the moment between what phrase follows that phrase, I'm sort of filled with fear. Because I am unsure of what answer they're expecting me to have, right? And I think oftentimes what we do is, is we present Christianity and, and leaders within Christianity or people who've, who've grown with Jesus over the years as people who have arrived and they now have all the answers. And one of the most amazing things about being a follower of Jesus is that you have committed yourself for a lifelong journey of learning Christ. One of the things that just I love about this church is that there'll be, there'll be times that I'll be here preaching and I'll look out there and I'll see people taking notes who I know have been walking with Jesus for 50 years. And do you know what they're doing on Sunday morning? They are learning more about walking with Jesus. See, if we want to be a church where anyone can grow, we must recognize that we are a church where no one has it all figured out. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We all have room to grow. There's nobody in here who has all the answers. Okay? Nobody. We are a people, a community of God's people who are engaged in this learning Christ activity. Doesn't matter if you're here this morning and you're just exploring Christianity, you are learning Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've been walking with Jesus just for a few weeks, you know what you're doing? You are learning Jesus. If you've been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years, you've been walking with Jesus that long, you are still learning Jesus. What I love about that is that every single one of us has precisely the same objective. <laughs> There's no ranking here, right? We all have the same goal. Every Sunday morning we walk through here is, is to celebrate what the Lord has done and to grow and learn more about Jesus. And as we do that, what we'll see as we go on is that we also have something to offer. We also have something to offer those around us so that they can learn and grow in Jesus. See, discipleship, making disciples, this idea of being a disciple, it's not about signing up for a class. It's not about checking a box or completing a course. Once completed, we're not able to say, oh, look, now I've arrived. That's not the picture of discipleship, of, of being a disciple. Discipleship is a lifelong process which requires over and over again the unconditional surrender to Jesus Step after step of obedience to Jesus and walking through life in repentance and in faith. That's what discipleship is. It's not a course. It's not to be relegated just as a course that folks can opt into, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is God's calling on your life. And if a disciple is a person who is a learner of Jesus, who's been rescued and is being transformed, undergoing this transformation process and learning Christ, then the church is a community of Christ learners. That's what we are. We are a community of people that gather together, that have been rescued from darkness and called to live together so that we might learn Christ. It's interesting, I've, I've heard it said before, the, the, or notice that maybe you have too, the relationship between the word um, disciple or discipleship and discipline. 
And they find the same root in the same sort of Latin word. And, and fundamentally, they mean the same thing. Discipline and discipleship. They're really the same word. And it's, it's fascinating and it's also really helpful. Once you've made the decision to follow Jesus with your life, it's only a matter of time before you find yourself asking, which disciplines will help me remain faithful in my relationship with Jesus? Okay? Oftentimes, unfortunately though, we can think of discipline as being equal, and oftentimes it does mean this, equal to control. For example, um, if I have good discipline over my finances, then I have control over my finances. Um, If I have good discipline over my health, then I have good control over what I put in my body and the exercise that I'm taking. If I'm a disciplined person, oftentimes we think that it means control. Well, in the spiritual sense, in our, as we consider our spiritual life, um, it's not helpful to think of discipline as being equal to control. It, it has a different meaning when we think of discipline in our spiritual life. This is what discipline looks like in our spiritual life. This is what Henry Nouwen says. Discipline in our spiritual life is the effort, I love the way he says this, is the effort to create space in which God can act. What does discipline look like in the spiritual life? In your journey, in your relationship with Jesus, as you take one step of obedience after another, we recognize the need for discipline. But what does discipline look like in your spiritual journey with Jesus? It looks like creating space where God can act. Because what we recognize is that your faithfulness to Jesus is actually dependent on Jesus. And this should bring us great comfort, right? If we think that what it looks like for us to grow in our relationship is for you to just get your act together, pull it together, roll up your sleeves, get busy, get working. That's not the picture of walking with Jesus. But rather, as we grow with him, he holds us so closely he holds us so closely to him and he, re- he refuses to let you go. And your growth is not dependent on your gifting or your experience or your wisdom. It's dependent on God's spirit at work in your life. This should bring us great comfort and allow us to, just as Eric was saying earlier, trust in him. Trust in him to do the work. So as we consider creating space for God to act, creating space for God to show up. Let's think about what that looks like in the context of our church. Let's think about, present for you three different sort of spaces by which God must act as we grow in our relationship with Christ. First, think about corporate worship, what we do on Sunday mornings. How is Sunday mornings, what we're doing right now, a space by which God can act so that we can grow in our learning of Christ? Well, just think about what we do here on a Sunday morning. Right now, we open up God's word, we consider it, and it's proclaimed. Jesus, as God's word is open, is proclaimed to God's people. 
And as Jesus is proclaimed, God's people, they should be doing sort of three different things. One, learning their head, their mind should be growing in their understanding and appreciation of who Jesus is. The affections in their heart should be stirred as they consider, like Eric was saying before, how sinful we are compared to God's glory and his beauty and his love for us in spite even of our sin. And as a result, as we internalize that, we should see, oh my goodness, that God would love me? The natural response to that should be us loving him in return. And then as we continue to preach and open God's word, we should be thinking to ourselves, how can I apply this right here and right now? Who are are the people that need to hear this comforting truth? Who are the people that God has put in my path that I can share this with? What can I do this week to be obedient to this text? Those are thoughts that should be running through our mind all throughout the sermon. How can I apply this? Preaching is a, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful tool for helping people learn to be a disciple-making disciple. But it's not the only tool. It's not the only thing we do on Sunday mornings. There's also musicians who come up here on stage. And do you know what they do? They put so- words up on that screen. They encourage you to sing them out. And you know what happens as you sing them out? You are proclaiming, yes, you're, you are celebrating in God and who he is. You are praising the creator of the universe. But do you know what else you're doing? Your words are encouraging the people around you with God's truth and his word. Listen, we know it's very easy to tell if what is happening up here is working. Let me tell you the sort of the metrics we don't use, okay? What we don't use is are all the lights out there shut off and all the lights up here lit up? Can you only see the people on stage? No, that doesn't matter. Is one of the ways that we tell if it's working is if, if Aiden hits every note precisely how he's supposed to hit it. No! Luckily for Aiden and us, right? And whoever is leading. If, if, the, if the guitarist is able to string out, don't get me wrong, we want to do everything with excellence and high quality to, to honor our God, okay? Don't get me wrong, okay? But the way that we tell if this is working is when you all are singing. That's how we can tell because that's the point. Because as you participate and sing the words that are on the screen, you are celebrating God. You are praising God. But the Bible also says that you are proclaiming his words to the saints around you. You are encouraging one another. And as you come in on a Sunday morning, it's not just about what you're saying as you sing and participate in that worship. It's also about are you hearing the saints around you saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You're proclaiming God's word. Every element of the service. Brother Eric coming up here leading us in confession. It's a reminder that we don't have it all figured out. That we still have need. And that God is able and faithful to provide for us precisely what we need in our sin. Through Jesus Christ. Assures us that even though we just failed miserably yesterday. That Christ still loves us. And his, what he accomplished on this cross still applies to us. Everything that we do on Sunday morning. The morning you walk in those doors, it's about learning Christ, celebrating Christ, and helping one another learn Christ as well. But it's not the only space. It's not the only space in the church that we enter into for the sake of learning Christ together. Also think of, we have corporate worship, think of community. And this looks different. We have community groups that are sort of the the church primary sort of structure by which we help each other enter into community. But we see it happening all over the place. Men's breakfast, women's coffee. We see pairs of women getting together over coffee. Men meeting together in garages. We see community being formed in sort of organic and also prescribed, structured ways. 
But the purpose of that community is to help people enter into. It's not a, a formal organization, but rather a way of living where, where people can come together for the sake of proclaiming the word of God to one another over a period of time. It's a structure by which we allow, we, we see disciple making actually happen. We have corporate worship. We have community. We also th think of classroom, another sort of space by which we learn Christ together. Right now I saw on my way in here this morning, there's some 20 people in a room talking about, uh, I forget the name of the class, political unity and the Bible, I think. Something like that. Right, Dave? Is that, where's Dave? There it is. Okay, political disagreement and Christian unity, right? Yeah, this is a classroom. We, we open up the Bible and we, we are instructed and then we learn and our heads grow. There's, we have classroom spaces where this happens as well. All of these, whether it's corporate worship, community, or classroom, all of these spaces are designed to be places where God's people can come together for this great work of making discipleship. Again, the tendency of many churches is to departmentalize or to relegate discipleship to only a specific ministry or department. God's plan is to make us into learners. And his strategy by which God utilizes to accomplish this plan is the gathered people of God. In his great mercy for us, God has brought us together. He's brought us together because one, this is our destiny. We will be gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ, worshiping him for eternity. This is what we were made for. And two, because we need one another. Nobody in here has all the answers. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you learn and grow closer to Christ. The church is the transformative community of learning Christ. That's who we are. Third, where else does this happen? Well, again, it happens everywhere. But it happens in the nations. It should happen in the church. It also should happen in the home. We've talked about it at length before. As we consider just the, the miracle that we are 2,000 years later meeting as the people of Jesus Christ, worshiping, talking about what he said some 2,000 years ago. The fact that we're doing that. Oftentimes, we think that the way that happened was through um, these massive revivals. Revivals are important. They're good and God uses them. But when we open up the, back, the book of Acts and we see one revival after another, we think that's just sort of the, that's just sort of the par for the course for the next several hundred years. Well, the truth is, no, it's not. It was a really specific and special time in the life of the church that God used that for his purposes. But if you go back and study church history and you see how did the message of the gospel transform lives, ultimately transform the Roman Empire, how did this happen in such a quick amount of time? It's simply because men and women in their homes gave their lives to Jesus, took this message seriously. They said, you know what? I'm actually supposed to do this. They committed to living their lives so that it would represent God's character to the world around them. And then they maybe led one person to Jesus. But the whole church did that. And it grew exponentially. It transformed the world. Because men and women understood this calling is for me. And I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to pray for my neighbors I'm going to share Jesus with whoever goes to my path. And it wasn't that they were all evangelists. It wasn't that they all had this amazing gift. They were faithful and they were obedient. And God used it to grow his church. The same thing happens today. It happens in our homes. Think about your home and where God has placed you. 
whatever context, whether you are single, whether you're living with a roommate, whether you're married, no kids, or whether you have kids, do you see your home as a primary space by which disciples are made? Are people invited into your home so that they can be, the word of God can be proclaimed to them? Do, do you use the people around your home as, are they, do they fill a prayer list for you? Are you looking at opportunities for them as you meet them, seeing walking the dogs, cutting grass out in the yard? Do you see it as, an, as a strategic opportunity to speak God's word to them and to pray for them and to encourage them and to share the truth of the gospel with them? Do you see that? If not, you should. Your home is a strategy to reach this community. And as important as it is to walk through these doors on Sunday morning, as we encourage you to do that, it's so vital for this great work of disciple making. Your home is going to be where you are going to be most effective, likely. Where you have neighbors that, guess what, only you live by. Maybe you have classrooms that you're the only Christian in the classroom. Maybe you have a workplace or an office that you go to and there's no other believers in there. A couple months ago, we met, uh, pastoral staff met with a sort of a prominent pastor via Zoom and just for the sake of just learning, we had some questions to ask him and encourage us and he said something that has just absolutely stuck with me. What he said was this. Oftentimes, we can feel and view ourselves as if we are a problem that needs to get solved. However, what you are as a follower of Jesus is not primarily a problem that needs to get fixed. You are primarily a strategy by which God reveals himself to people around you. You are a strategy. You, where God has placed you, it is strategic to accomplish God's purposes. You are a strategy. There are some people in this world that might hear the gospel over and over and over again, but they won't believe it or receive it until they hear it from you. I can't say why, but it's true. God has placed people in your life, again, all across the spectrum in their relationship with Jesus, being far from Christ to being mature in Christ. He's placed them in your life and he's called you to help them learn Jesus. And you don't have to have all the answers. Odds are you will blow it. Time and time again, likely. You'll leave a conversation thinking to yourself, oh, why didn't I say this? Or why didn't I do that? But in God's grace and his mercy, we learn from that. Hopefully we get another opportunity. Next person that comes in front of us, we're able to, to maybe apply or say the thing that we, we missed, we didn't say. God has put a word. His word has come to us. He's entrusted us with his word. And he has not called us to be dead ends in his neighborhood. But rather, we are to be conduits by which his word spreads to the people around us, whoever they may be. You are not simply a problem to be fixed. You are a strategy. My goodness, that should, if ever there's something that should apply for us right here and now, that's it. That's it. 
when you walk out these doors. You are a strategic way to make, help God be proclaimed and, and lives transformed to the people around you. That's how he designed this thing to be. Let me show you an example of what this can look like. Wesley Mills is somewhere in the house. Ah, come on up here, brother. Um, we just want to share with you quickly a, a, a uh, Wesley's going to share just a little bit about what this looks like in his life. And so I, I think it's really helpful for us. Again, there's some that might be able to relate specifically to Wesley's stage of life, and there's others who, who may not. We just want to give you an example of, of kind of what this, this can look like in your life. So, Wesley, you want to share? Okay. This is on? Good. Awesome. Uh, so I'll just share really quick a uh, story mm -hmm. about a time I had an opportunity to share the gospel. And it's kind of an ongoing story, so I'll just share uh, probably the inciting incident, I guess. So I have a classmate, uh, and... Uh, Bethany and I had been praying for her for a while um, in the hopes that there would be some opportunity to share the gospel. Um, so first step was I invited her to help me in the studio to make some clay. I'm a potter, so we had to mix up some clay. And I wanted to hopefully have like good conversation. I had no idea where it was going. So we talked, and um, she's a very open person, which was pretty convenient, and probably the Holy Spirit at work but uh, the conversation became pretty personal. We just started asking questions like, how did you decide to go to art school and things like that? Um, so I got to share some of my life and I got to listen to some of her life story. Um, and eventually uh, there was a point at which I was like, okay, Lord, uh, where is this going? Like we're talking about personal things, but what do I need to do now? Um, and she shared about um, one of, it's, it's a personal thing, so I can't go into detail, but uh, basically, uh, a struggle she had had. Um, she had gotten through it, but she didn't want to tell her parents specifically. She was too ashamed to do that. So uh, she was just terrified that her dad would say, I told you so, um, and be disappointed in her. Um, and so I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to go for it. Um, so I told her, uh, you've heard my story. You know that I believe in God. You know that um, Jesus died for your sins so that you could have his record. So when, uh, <laughs> wow, the gospel, man. <laughs> um, when God looks at you, if you accept Jesus, he will never tell you, I told you so. Um, he'll forgive you entirely. <laughs> yes, so I told her that. Um, and she didn't accept Christ right then and there, uh, but she kind of nodded along and she said, yeah, I think that's really true. I think God is like that. Um, if there is a God, he would be exactly like that. Um, and so this is kind of an ongoing thing. So that's like the first step, I think, in that relationship um, because she hasn't accepted Jesus yet. There will hopefully be future opportunities and we're continuing to pray for her. But um, I mean, she needs the gospel just like everyone else. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how that went. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, as you look back at it, I noticed, first of all, you said you started, the first thing you said was that you started praying. Yeah. I'm curious as yeah. to why you would do that. Um, we believe that only God can change people's hearts. Mm. Um, so everything starts with prayer, guys. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as you think about your relationship with this 
with this girl and you know kind of what that looks like moving forward um, I'm curious just to as like what what do you think are sort of next steps like how are you approaching that relationship yeah I think um, right now she's in a very busy stage of life so it's difficult to like invite her to do additional things like study the Bible although that would be probably the next step um, just to study the Bible with me and Bethany um, and maybe work through some questions. Another thing, um, and this was something I kind of missed in that conversation after I left, I was like, oh man, uh, was just inviting her to like asking her like, is this something you want to believe in? Um, I think a lot of the time I miss that uh, personal invitation to say, you can follow Jesus too. This isn't just my thing. Mm -hmm. This is for everyone. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So it's cool because if you guys know Wesley much at all, you know that that's like very normal behavior for him, that he sees himself as a strategy by which God uses to reach the people that he has put in Wesley's path. And he recognizes, like even though he does this very naturally, he's recognizing right now before us that, you know what? I wonder if I maybe missed something. I wonder if there's something I could have done differently. And if you've shared Jesus with somebody or if you've attempted to, you're always likely gonna be thinking that. What's so encouraging about it is oftentimes you might fumble your way through it, but ultimately because of our belief that it's God who draws hearts to himself, that all we have to do is just be faithful, available, looking for those moments and being willing to have the boldness to speak up and not afraid of just being rejected. Yeah, I'm assuming that's that can definitely fear. be very scary. Yeah, because it, it's, it's sad being rejected and we were friends, so I didn't want to have every other conversation in the future be awkward because that's in the back of her mind, like, oh, Wesley wants me to be a Christian. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's definitely worth the risk, and uh, our friendship is still going strong, so <laughs> yeah. it's, it's worked out. But yeah, that's awesome. it is scary. <laughs> Very good. Cool. Well, praise God for your faithfulness, brother. Um, thank you so much. Um, what I think I want to do right now is, again, not all of us have been called to be potters, artists, okay? Um, but God has, maybe some of you have, um, but God has, has given you maybe a different sort of vocation, has placed you in a different neighborhood or at a different workplace. And what I want to do just right now is this grand work of disciple making, growing in our relationship with Jesus, learning Christ. I just want you to take a moment just kind of quietly to reflect. Um, Aiden, you guys can come up whenever you feel like it's appropriate and kind of lead us in worship. But just let's just take a moment and quietly reflect where God has placed you. And I want you to just be asking yourself this question. What is the next step for me as I learn Christ and as I help make disciples? So learning Christ, making disciples, what's a step that you can take uh, even today, as you leave this place to help you grow in, in participation of this, this great work of disciple making. Let's take a moment just kind of silently to think about that.